So much appreciate your invitation, Sean. Looking forward to chatting with you. Patrick, I'm so excited to have you on as well. I love, I love following you. I love the conversations you have with people. I think you force them to think on their feet uh, as it is socially, and you, you always are, are, are diving in with folks. So give us a little bit of background, Patrick. What do you do right now, man? What is your position uh, in life, as you will? Uh, take us through it. I'm retired. Man. <laughs> Happily, it is possible. It will happen. You just hang. You just hang in there. I am a retired counselor. I did. I did many things over my life that I had to do, including car sales. I was in uh, all kinds of different things uh, related to the microcomputer and hardware soft and software revolution back in the. 80s and 90s and all that kind of stuff where anybody could get in it because nobody knew anything it was it was a nice uh entry into uh just working uh in the sales and, and marketing and communications kind of world and that led to other things and i, I eventually found uh recovery and uh i spent 10 years doing that decided you know I, I might like to investigate this counselor stuff. And uh, I started to look at it. People said, well, you know, do you have a college degree? It's like, no, why don't you get one? So I did and, uh, and never looked back and ended up getting a master's and became a licensed professional counselor, which I'm kind of glad I did because that led to opportunities to do research. So my life kind of unfolded late uh, with a couple of U-turns and curly cues in there, and uh, but still ended up with a family and uh, uh, that uh, are all healthy today, and made it to uh, retirement. In the meantime, wrote a book. Uh, really retired to write a book. I had to write about my research. People had asked me, "What what's your research on?" I had a chance to do this at Kennesaw State University. That's where I worked. That was my last job. I was in charge of all the uh, alcohol and drug assessment on campus and research and training the peer educators and counseling and all that kind of stuff. And it just led naturally to, uh, well, let's see if we're doing any good. Uh, and we started to uh, stumble across uh, methods to, that we thought were good, but the challenge is how do you measure that? So. Uh, I worked at a treatment center before I went to uh, college. And so we said, why don't we just take these treatment models that people pay $50,000 for and just show them to the freshmen. Why make them wait until uh, they have a near-death experience in order to see these simple models? So we started laying these models out for these kids. They loved them. 
and uh, and I stumbled across a way to measure uh, what uh, what each guy was uh, what each student was experiencing in terms of direction of risk and uh, how fast you know velocity and magnitude of risk really direction velocity and magnitude of risk is what it ended up being. So Patrick, is that really is that really for just to kind of break it down a little bit further? Is that really about risk assessment? Is that what you say? Is that what you mean when you say just being able to quickly identify what is what as it's happening? Is that what you mean? It kind of is what I mean. What I what I found uh, is another variable. I call it the risk response system. It's called the affective risk response system. That's the fun thing when you do something in research at the college level, you're forced to do certain things. You, you got to get qualified to do it. Then you got to get approval from the internal review board and the, and you have to set up a literature review. And I started running across all the stuff by Kahneman and Ropik and all these other guys that were publishing articles about why people do the things they do. Uh, and it all had to do with not logic and uh, not reason, but this package that comes with each human being, we're born with it, uh, the ability to weigh um, risk and benefit on the same continuum. Everybody wants to know about risk. I found that to be an inaccurate approach. You got to do risk and benefit are related, closely related. It's all the same the more beneficial a choice is, the less risk there is. There's always risk. But the but if I get too much risk and not enough benefit, that's not gonna that's not sustainable. So it's this just using two attributes uh, without getting too nerdy about it, just the way it worked out. So when I say risk assessment, I'm really meaning a risk benefit assessment based on risk benefit attributes and that's and i never say any of this when i show it to students i hesitate to say any of this stuff because it's not going to make sense to me it's the old here here's how you build a watch and all you want to know is what time it is no but that's okay see because it's it to me it's context so you you me asking you about risk risk assessment and you responding with no it's risk response system that helps me start to understand you talk about key attributes and measurements we're, we're data people here in my company. And so all the things you're talking about, they all speak to me. I didn't go to college. Um, I started my company. I got in the car business really early. I've been, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, but my business partner is master's educated. And it's because of that, that I, I was drawn to him being a business partner because of the aspects of thinking through what you're talking about. See um, the college research, right? When you said it, I thought, Patrick, that sounds like a lot of work. I thought college research was just, Hey, I'm doing, I'm in college. I'm doing research. Here's what I'm doing it on. You know, hey. I, everybody know? does research in college. By the way. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, but you're talking about how, how you have to really go through the steps, right. And really speak to what it takes to do it. So you couldn't just show up and say, yeah, I want to start talking to, you know, the freshmen about my risk response system. No, Here's what I want to do. They go, they no, 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 no. explain it to us, show us your work. And then maybe we'll allow you to do this. So in you developing the risk response system, 
Is it a replacement of, of, of the models that you were that you were referencing? Is it an additional model? Is it a combination of the models? How do the models you spoke of that you referenced to get to this point really play into the now of the risk response system? It's embarrassingly simple. Uh, it, I use the same models. And what we do at a treatment center is basically, we call it the disease model. It's not really the disease model, it's just a way to say it, but it shows you the mental and physical progression of addiction in terms of experience. So everybody's got to learn how to deal with stress that nobody gets out of that. And everybody experiences stress and people find very good, sustainable ways to deal with stress and they become adults doing it. And some of us find very, very effective ways to deal with stress, but they're not sustainable. And after time, it will affect us not only mentally, but physically. That's, that's an addictive path. Uh, and for people to know it, it's easy to describe it uh, because it's uh, known by a mental obsession. That's the end result of the mental progression. First, you get a little impulsive, then you get a little compulsive, and then you become obsessive. That's mental progression in an addiction cycle. Physically, so at yeah. The, at the, at, sorry, at the, so the, the compulsive, when you're there, it's sort of like, yeah, I felt like doing this, I did it, so I did it. But then when it becomes an obsession, that's when you speak to the addiction part of it, right? When it becomes the, the constant have to. Is that what you mean when you say that? That's exactly what I mean when I say that. Okay. Uh, it's like kicking a can, you know, first you say, you know what? I, th I think I'll kick that can down the street. And you do. And uh, then you start to worry, you go, uh, I'm going to kick all the other cans down the street or think about it. And then you get to where you just kick all the cans down the street and that's all you do. Um, physically, we, uh, whatever we do to our bodies, our bodies will adjust that we call this tolerance. If we do enough tolerance, our, our bodies will reach a peak of tolerance. And if we do more than that, our biology actually gets to where it's got to adjust if I'm not doing the same thing to my body. And that's called withdrawal. And that's the end result of the physical process. Okay. And this, and is all, this is all starts from the disease model, though, as far as the way that we talked about walking through it. This is just the disease model. You can find it in the big book on in the doctor's opinion on page XXVII. <laughs> All right, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to go find that. But I like the fact that you're bringing me the facts of this. So when you look at the risk response system, what... So we always ask people, Patrick, when they come on to give us a question. So what would your question be for our audience based on your background, based on who you are? What, what is the question that you'd like to pose out and really, I mean, you and I have already been talking here for a little bit about what you do, but what, what's the question that you'd pose to us? So the, so the risk response system just follows the disease model. It's just another variable that adds on to an already existing model. It fits perfectly. That's why I used it because I could. And that's what research is, is measuring the relationship between different variables. That's all it is. So my question is, when we were talking and thinking about stuff is, and what, and what I believe I've stumbled across, and what people 
find it's hard find hard to wrap their heads around is is the causation of addiction important nobody focuses on that because when everybody's drowning in the river we're all busy throwing life rings and ropes and trying to get them out and dry them off and and keep them out of the river nobody cares what the cause is you don't need the cause to recover uh, but you do need it, but you got to ask yourself. I think it's important because if you don't know what the cause is, what are you really treating? You know, the answer becomes symptoms. And I, and I, I think we can be better than that. And if you're going to try and prevent it and you don't know what the cause is, I don't really think you're preventing anything. Uh, keeping the low risk, low risk, you know, or keeping adults healthy, that is not a, bad goal is just not a very useful goal so because what i because it's void of context patrick it doesn't it doesn't i hear it all the time about people say oh well you have to be better you have to you have to take better care of yourself i just told this analogy to someone the other week i grew up playing baseball and yeah. one of the things i got told when i was a young baseball player was you don't hit for enough power and people they 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 they'd say it and they turn around they walk away <laughs> and, and, and you think to yourself well, okay, I get on base, you know, 70% of the time, I'm stealing bases, I'm fast, I do all these things. So you're worried about what I don't do, yet you give me zero instruction as to how to improve my power yeah. or how to look to make myself a better hitter in that regard. So yeah. do, do I, does it matter what, does it matter what the cause of, I, you know, Patrick, I don't think so. Oh my gosh, chair fell. I don't think it matters. I really, I really don't think it matters why you're addicted or why you have those behaviors because I assume there might be a way to figure that out previous to you having to jump in the river, right? Like, is, is that kind of what we're saying here is if we, if we talk about things earlier on with people that maybe they don't even get to that point. Well, uh, no, it's exactly what you're saying. My brother told me, you know, I hooked one in the woods. He goes, well, you're swinging outside over, you know, outside in again. And it's like, give me and I tell me, he goes, you're turning your hips before your hands or whatever he said was that I can understand. Don't tell me the result. I see the result. Yes. I, it's, it's amazing. The I'm results I got, I understand. Where I am, right? When you're an addict and you're going into recovery because I've been there, it's obvious why I'm here. I mean, yeah. it might not be to me exactly, but I'm here. So it's obvious. Well, that was the thing with me. They would ask me, what, what's wrong with you? And I would say, I, I don't know. And now I know you don't know. And yeah. now where are we? Right. And now and now and now I have to trust you to guide me through a process you just admitted you don't really know anything about. And so this idea of talking through it is is fine. We can have all the conversations we want, but without action, without a roadmap for getting forward. And I'm sorry, I, I know this is gonna come across as brash, but the 12 steps is so dated to me. The whole concept of what you're trying, it's so based in religion, which has nothing to do with recovery to, in my opinion, I'm this, I don't, again, I don't want to go too far off that, but it isn't about human response. It's about idea, idealistic response or what, what, what the perfect 12 steps should look like. There's nothing about life that follows that sort of parameter. And it can, it can certainly appear that way. It, it certainly can. There's the, the number of misunderstandings around 12-step programs are not that many, but they are persistent. And uh, in this, 
and the model I found is is very much the same way. And there's a reason. I think there's a scientific reason for that. Uh, it, it's a kind of bias. We call it a selection bias. I'll tell you a story. This will help. It helped me when I found it in my research. World War II, you know, they would take off from the United Kingdom. They take off from England and go bomb the hell out of Europe. And all the planes would come back, shot to hell and back. And uh, they land there uh, in England, and the admiral would come down there, or whatever they called the Air Force general would come down there and say, "I want you to do a study where all these holes are in all these planes, where all these planes have been damaged, and give me the probability of where all these holes are going to be, so I know where to put the extra armor to protect these planes and the personnel in them." And they said, okay, we'll do the project for you. And they identified and measured every single hole from flak and shrapnel and other parts and why and where they came from and did the whole study. And then they tried to analyze it. And they, were, they couldn't make much sense of it. And they brought this guy in who understood statistics and he glanced at it and he said, you know what? Here's exactly what you do. You see where all these other holes are? You see, you, you got a map of the holes that's ever been done to all these planes you study. Put the armor elsewhere. That's where you put the extra armor. You understand the reason is because these planes landed here. These planes could fly with these holes. The others, they had holes elsewhere. They didn't make it back. That's where you put the armor. And that's that's kind of what addiction is. Yeah, Everybody so knows the symptoms. Yeah, right. The idea is I, I, I know what's wrong with me, right? I know, I know that I've got holes in my plane. So go tell me how the holes got here. But the holes didn't hit the fuel. They didn't hit your people. These people did come back. But you were so focused on trying to outthink the maneuver, right, if you will, and, and see how that comes together. That makes sense, man. I really, I really get that. So what... The question really is, does it, does it matter if you, if you know what's causing it or if you know how it, like, give me some more clarity on, on, what, on what you're trying to get to the bottom of. So the question I came up with was not uh, what is the cause of addiction. That never occurred to me because I didn't need it. We treated addiction. Who cares what the cause is? Uh, we know we can look at you. <laughs> No, you're deeply troubled. Here's here are the steps of change to whatever it is you were. If you want to be something else, you do these things, and you will be something else. There's no escaping this, and that's that's where you don't need to know the cause. You just need to know how to change. Now, what you might change into is something you don't want, or think you don't want, or whatever it is. And the fact is, I think we never stop changing. Unless we're dependent. See, this is what I found out. And this is why I get excited about it. This is why I'm persistent. And and, uh, and this is why some people aren't going to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, join the, join the group. Um, that's fine. I've got plenty of people who don't talk to me, so that's fine. <laughs> so here's the thing. So what we're looking for, uh, again, was how do I measure if I'm doing any good? So we would show these students these models, including the disease models, so they would know, some, which was, some people didn't know they grew up in an alcoholic family. They didn't know what one was. They thought everybody was an alcoholic. They, 
that because that's all they ever knew. Uh, can't hold that against them. Uh, you know what you know. But it uh, can be debilitating not to know there is that there's more than that. And there's a reason for all that. So we would show these stages. So I have a stage model. And all this is at prehabmap.com. It's all free. And all, all the models you look at and use with whoever, however you want. But the, it begins with a stage model where there is no risk at stage zero. And stage four is you're going to die dependent some way or another. And people move back and forth, up and down. Piece of cake. And the assessment, and my boss said, great, we love your model. Do you have an assessment? And I lied and said, yes. <laughs> I'm working on one. But I couldn't use the regular assessment. The regular assessment for dependence is how many, how often, quantity, frequency, and what are the consequences. And I wasn't about any of that. I know I'm not even talking about drugs. I'm just talking about the. Uh, you're just talking about drug. right decisions. You're not. Yeah, talking, I'm just talking, you're not about, even talking yeah. about an addiction of anything, whether it be drugs or, or anything. I don't care yeah. what it is. You're, you're just yeah. talking about walking out the front door. And before you cross the street, you're going to go through, you're going to go through from zero to four and figure out where you stand. It's just going to yeah. happen. Well, there's these things that happen. We, and, and it keeps us alive. And so you got to, so part of the lecture is built in. I don't want to get too far into it because I'll, I'll spend 30 minutes talking about it. But risk factors that I study and put in the model sound like this. So anything, it's like, it's, it's like being a car salesman. We're attracted to the new. That's why people buy new cars. It's the worst investment. It's the worst thing you can possibly do with your money is buy a new car. But we buy new, I just bought a new car. <laughs> we buy new cars because we love new shit. That's all. Yeah. Do. You should just lease them. I don't know. You guys, you guys well, should all just. I'm a car guy my whole life. Don't buy it. There's no equity in cars. So anyone here trying to tell you otherwise, just lease them. And every three years, you don't have to feel so bad. There so you go, go get a new one because that's what they're there, there for. You. There you there. go. All right. That, go that ahead. Too. But I to <laughs> so if it's new, we we investigate it. We we're helpless. Yep. And that's okay. That's good. We should have our head on us, but we should be checking out the new. If something runs across the room and I don't recognize it, believe me, my attention is on that thing. The shiny object syndrome, I call it. We just, we're always it's looking for what's next, what's world, next. Or anything else. Anything. So anything. we're we're really good that we do kind of have eyes in the back of our head. We're, we're, you can't sneak up on me easily. <laughs> attention to the new, that's, number, that's, that's the risk factor. What other risk factors? So if you got new and you combine that and they, the more you combine together, the more powerful they get. We look at everything. We tend to look at everything as good and bad. Anything I perceive as good, uh, I'm interested. I would like to know more. And anything I perceive as bad is I don't want to know any more about that. It makes life do, easy. But if I do listen to it, I'm probably not going to hear it. Like, I, you can probably tell me all the bad you want, but I won't accept the argument based on the fact that I already think it's bad. Absolutely. If I think it's bad, that's over. Yeah. If okay. I perceive so it as bad, bad, I can't have it. Not going to have it, period. 
Right, but here you go, right here with the car example, you stack these two together, right? I gotta have the new, and I don't care about the good or the bad consequences to that, so I'm gonna just keep moving, all right? Well, if I perceive it as good, it's got do. 327 horsepower instead of 310, yeah. It, then, then you're into it, right? But if you, <laughs> if you perceive the payment is too high, that might be bad, or the price too high, that could be bad. So you go through that sort of analysis. Here's the third one, social proof. Now, social proof is a concept. Most people say, you know, my dad and mom told we were raised that if Johnny jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff too? That's social. Wait, wait, hold on. So, yes, I've heard the story. Are you <laughs> telling me that's an example of social truth? Or are you telling me that's an example of bullshit I was told when I was a kid? Because there's no actual social proof to yeah, that. More right. bullshit. Social proof is much more powerful. That's peer pressure. Yeah. Parents are terrified of peer pressure because well, they have no terrified power. terrified of me getting it, but they're giving it to me every other day when I was a kid. Right, right, right. These guys got it. They didn't understand social proof. But right. people are starting to understand. When I perceive, when I get to college and they're smoking crack over there, mm -hmm. I've only been here five minutes. I don't know how it works here. I just came here. And I just learned that's where you smoke crack over there. I don't know that they just got here five minutes ago, too. To me, they're experts. They've been here. They were here when I got here. Obviously, they know what they're doing because I have no idea what I'm doing. That social proof, when I perceive others are benefiting from some activity, and it could be you know, a fraternity party, it could be anything. And it doesn't have to be around drugs. Study study hall. I don't care what it is. Yeah, I mean, there could be 14 kids reading a book on the front yard. I, that, that, that's, that's where, where they study. Yeah, right. yeah that's, that's the book reading yard. And I'm playing gonna, the guitar so or whatever we're doing. That's an example of social proof, which is still our own, basically, it's, it's, how, it's still how we perceive the moment. That's still what this it's comes It's all about perception. Is. Perception is reality. So we, we go out there. If I stood in the quadrant, looked up long enough, there'd be a hundred people out there looking at the sky the same way. I, he's seeing something. He's out there. What is he seeing? He's getting something out of it. And they'll follow suit. If all the fish at the beach jump to the right, I go to the right too. <laughs> well, that's our example of social proof. But as you said, stack together social proof. And I'll go back to the car thing. Now your neighbor sees your new car in your driveway. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're, he's going to go through the funnel reverse, though. He's going to go, that's the social proof he bought a new one. I don't know if that's a good decision or a bad one for myself. And then it'll go up to, but man, I really like the idea of new cars. That thing's really cool looking. So then he has to sort of assess what his next move is. Is that, is that where we're at? We're, that's where we're at. So okay. we're moving on. We're moving on into it. And that seems uh, logical, that seems reasonable to look at. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful way. system, beautiful system. It means we can make life saving decisions all day long without getting exhausted. It's only without three things. steps. It's only three it's, steps. You can't remember those three big things, just big three items, right? That's it. Yeah. But right now, to break it down, make it simple, it's three things. You gotta, well, you gotta just decide. I had three more. If I'm convinced okay. I can control what I'm seeing. Another, if we stay with the car, if I'm convinced the payments are within my control and the maintenance is within my control and all the other stuff. Within, then, within your control, it doesn't mean your means though. It's within what you believe you can control because it's yes. perception. All right. Yeah. All right. Using the car, what are the next three? So once we get beyond control, 
then I commit. And once I commit, I'm going to make it happen. I'm signing the contract. I'm signing the deal. I'm going to ask you where you got your car. I'm, I'm starting down the control road to commit by asking you where you got your car because I like it. I get all those things. I commit and I continue making decisions in this way. And eventually I get to, even though there's pain and suffering, you know, even though there's a new scratch on the car or the, the accessories were not installed by the dealer, we'll figure, I go through a little pain and suffering, but we figure it all out in the, in the end. So there's pain and suffering in the end. And, uh, and that's, that's what happens with addiction. They believe they are being autonomous and they feel pretty good about it. And this is how we, this is how we change into a uh, dependent pattern while feeling autonomous. That's the trap I found. I didn't have these words before. Where does that, where, okay, so of the six steps, where are you seeing the dependency trap fall out? Where, right. where in these six, not steps, these six discussion points, where do you normally see people sort of fall into, into, the, into the funnel on the negative side of this? Right, so as a senior in high school or junior in high school, for me, so in 10th grade, whatever it was, you experiment with different things and you get, you get through high school because our society doesn't let you not get through high school. So you get through high school and then we, and then you got to choose what you're going to do with your life. And if you go on to college, you go pick one and you go visit and you start making friends. And some of the things I'm familiar with drinking beer or smoking drugs or uh, whatever it is I'm doing, I continue doing it. And as I start having other benefits, uh, sexual relationships, camaraderie, good times, memories, fraternity stuff, like having fun, just having fun, having a blast. College was a blast for me. That's why I went to four of them <laughs> and never graduated. I knew how to have a good time. I didn't understand that's not the priority. I look, I, my, my dad told me he got kicked out of his first college because his BA was higher than his GPA. So I, I, I get it. And uh, I, I get, I come from it. I, I myself have experienced it, but when you, when you talk about it, so you are, you're talking about experimenting, going through those things. So that pattern hardened as I saw what was, uh, what I thought I could control, what was new and good. And what I thought I could control eventually flipped over in stage two and started to become familiar. That's the flip side of good. It's not just good by itself. I mean, uh, the flip side of good is bad, but the uh, flip side of new is familiar. And as things become familiar in stage two and I commit to that sort of thing, I go into stage three. And meanwhile, in stage three, my mental and physical stuff, now I'm doing massive quantities because my tolerance is at its peak and I've become compulsive without knowing it. And I'm starting to do extreme, extreme behavior without knowing it because my, uh, the people I hang out with is now a very small group that does what I do. And I don't want to lose my chair in this group. So whatever you're doing, I, I do a little bit more. And the people that come in behind me do everything I do plus a little bit more. And all of a sudden we're butt chugging, you know, 
But that's all based on social proof because you're seeing it around you, right? So that's you based on and that's social proof in stage three. So we do that, and eventually I get to across the line into stage four because uh, I'm starting to defend what I do, uh, and uh, I would and 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 I cross the line into physical addiction. Now my body, if I don't put it in my body, I'm miserable physically. And uh, mentally, I believe I need it and continue to use it. And anything that has to do with not using it, I don't understand. And uh, and uh, and change is terrifying. I don't mind. I will change absolutely anything in stage four, except my attitude and what I'm doing. So I'm desperate for change, but, but uh, now I'm stuck. Now I'm truly dependent. I don't understand, you know, somebody could come straighten up and fly right. It's something I would like to do, but now I don't know how to do it. So what I end up doing is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic and calling it change. It's not, it is change. See, the deck chairs are on the front of the boat now instead of the rear of the boat. Doesn't matter, the ship's going down. So I don't understand how to make basic changes anymore because I don't understand what's right from wrong anymore. I understand one thing in stage four, and that's not where I started. That's where I ended up, and that is survival. Correct. Because as you said, you started zero. And if we look at dependency, it's, it, as, you, as you also stated, it's uh, how much, how often, and the consequences. But in looking at it through the lens that you're giving us and sharing with us, by the time I actually get to that, I'm already through four stages, at which point, if given the proper tools and understanding of those stages and how the mind can work in the education at a young level, because let's face it, this stuff isn't being talked about when it should. High school, junior high, you want to have, you want to have a sex talk, that's fine. But it should be followed by a money talk, then followed by a talk like this where we get into what life's about. I don't know that I care about what happened in, in 1854 as much as I care about what's going on right now. Kids are dealing with what right now? Well, the things kids deal with now is nowhere compared to what I dealt with, which means it's further away from what you dealt with, yet there no education exists for, I've got, I've got a 12-year-old nephew. If I was to say to him, hey, man, how do you feel about, you know, your risk assessment in life? How do you? He would look at me like I was insane. He would be like, you used to be the cool uncle. Now you're the weird one. I'm going to go back in my phone, and I'm going to go back to doing what it is that I do. So- Patrick, can we can we start this earlier? Like when when should people yes. be talking about this discussion fairly? When can it be comprehended? When can it be discussed? So I finally finished my assessment because my boss finally said, bring the assessment today. I stalled her for two weeks. So I said, I talked to God. And it's like, all right, God, what do I do? And the voice I got, it's not a hallucinatory voice. <laughs> I never tell psychiatrists my methods because they would medicate me. So, <laughs> so I talked to so I talked to God. What do you want me? What, what do I do with this assessment? It's like, what do you want? I got sort of an impatient voice back and said, "What do you want to do with it?" It's like I'd like to know where they've been, where they are, well, where they're going to be. Oh, why don't you do that? So I wrote out, you know, age and class and a couple of things that made it look like an assessment. And then I asked three questions. Where were you in this stage model from zero to four? Where are you in this stage model 
And where will you be in this stage model? And then I, then I collected all the data. And people would write in those numbers. Students would write in those numbers at an average of 25 students per class. And we'd do 20 classes. So I'd get 400. So my first time using it that way, I had 457 students. And I already know that five are already going to be at severe risk. Five are already at stage four. I know that before I talk to them. This stuff like this, we know really well. This is just the math at this point. This comes down epidemiology, to epidemiology. We know. For every yeah. 100 people, there will be one person. Who it's like four. insurance. We know this shit. Yes. And you can say the same thing about a zero probably too, right? I mean, right. To be fair. absolutely. We know how many are low risk. We know how many are high risk. And we know how many are severe risk. Now, it may be different drugs and a different velocity. Doesn't matter. Different man doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Doesn't matter. So I would give them these things, and then I had to have another discussion with God because I looked at, I could see patterns everywhere. I, I went through, I went through a ton of Excel, you know, spreadsheets trying to make sense out of this stuff. On my first Christmas vacation, uh, doing this stuff because I knew I was onto something. I could, but I couldn't get it. And finally, I had to stop and give up again. And, and say, what have I not, what is the only thing I haven't done? That was the voice. What is it that you haven't done? So the only thing I haven't done is put all three numbers together and use them as one variable. Okay, why don't you do that? And once so I did the, that. That was the past, present, future numbers? Is that what you're referring yes. to? Those three numbers? Yes, you put them together and you got a story. You got a, per, you got a whole, you know, Psychosocial, and more importantly, so do they. Yeah, because then you give the then you give the you give the user a, an overall scoring. Like again, back to baseball. Like I'm a big baseball nerd. Every year they add a different metric to measure something else that is leading you to something else, right? And so baseball, we talk about barrel bats. How many times you get the barrel on the bat? What does that speak to? It speaks to you finding a sweet spot. Yeah, you're lining out. Yeah, you're hitting guys, but you're getting barrels on the bats, meaning. This cannot, this cannot sustain itself. If you continue to barrel the ball, you will get hits. They will go out of the ballpark. This will happen. Continue with that aspect. So uh, a user scores a, they score a one now. They score a two on the, uh, on the, on the future. And they score a, a one on the past. That puts them at a four, right? So now they're all together for, my God, Patrick, this sounds like so much fun. I'm a data nerd. You must have just been like, when you, when you establish the singular variable, that must have been a really aha moment for you. Well, it was a huge moment because then I could say, all right, I'll set, you know, here, here's the, here, here's the, uh, uh, the, the way the um, epidemiology lays out is uh, 70, 75% are going to be low risk out of any random sample. 20, 20% are going to be high risk, 5% are going to be severe risk. That's what we know. That's the data and the data points. And that's where they, they go out. So when I add it up, when I go look, it's like, well, how many zero, zero, zeros or zero, one, zeros or one, zero, zero. And anything that ends in a zero or has a zero in the middle, even if it's a four, zero, zero, to me, it's just said that, well, there's a kid that recovered in high school which there are a few, more than a few. So uh, then I could say, well, there's your low risk population. How much of this sample 
is ends in a zero or has a zero in the middle and a zero in the end. Uh, 75%. <laughs> Damn it, man. Lots of zeros, right? I mean, it's college. It's a lot, a lot of, of zeros, zeros, a lot of ones. Well, everybody says, no, you go to college. They're all out of control. They're all running naked. They're all, they're all stoned. No, and, and 75%. Yeah, any of you doing college, you were already doing in high school, dude. This idea, I mean, except for some, I, I find maybe more on the sex side. I think I hear more college stuff goes a little that south. But as far as drugs, alcohol, those normal run-of-the-mill stuff, you're going to find that in high school. That's that's just normal because that's all part of the cause and all part of the discussion. Most it, people have done and settled there. It's a yeah. developmental thing. Why you got to wait? How long you got to wait to figure this stuff out? Oh, sure. I, mean, I, hear, I hear it all the time from people. Um, look, I, I do what I do. I enjoy what I enjoy. And people still look at me and they go, really? You're almost 40 years old. I see you with a joint. It's like, yeah, I see you with an, with an alcoholic beverage. Really? I mean, you're almost 40. So it, it, I think it's a matter of what people think is back to the good and bad, right? I think as soon as they make that discussion about my variable, then that's that's what it is. It doesn't matter that it's... I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. I'm gonna get to that. So the middle part, the rest of them are going to be, well, I was a one, uh, I am a two. So I, I was, I had a good, I started experimenting in high school. I accelerated as a first year freshman in the first week of college. I'm a two, and, but I'd like to be a zero. So I get a one, two, zero. So that tells me there's someone who is increasing risk, not a lot, but clearly increasing measurably increasing their risk and perceiving benefit because they're doing it. But after, but after they saw the prehab presentation, they didn't want, they wanted to go back to one or right. zero. Right. So we call that an intervention. I only count those guys that go, anybody that drops a stage or more after the middle stage and the middle stage is more than two, that's an intervention. I don't care what anybody says. It is well, it, it be, because it's a measurement of, of the of the program, right? It no, it's a measurement of the student. It's the measurement of the student. Oh, right, of their program, of how they approach their program, program right? yes, and how they say to themselves, "Look, I just saw something on the screen. This going back, right? So I, I just saw something new on the screen. I've established that I think it's a good thing that I be aware of this. It sounds like you know Patrick has proof, social proof to that end. So now the question is how." right? The next steps. How do I control and commit to getting to a zero, Patrick? That's what I think this report tells me. And I think that this, this sort of idea shows where the log jam is, right? And so, yeah, you were, yeah, you were into things. Yeah, you got into things a little heavier, but you've seen what getting there can do. And now you've decided you don't want to be that person. That, that, that's a lot easier intervention than getting 25 people in a room and cornering somebody, Patrick. It, it gets better. It gets better. Okay. And on the way in, the the uh, 5% will look like I'm, I was a 2, I am a 3, and I'm going to be a 3. Or I was a 2, I, I am a 2.5. When they start jumping between levels, <laughs> I, they're telling me I, I'm a, I'd like to be a 2.5. I don't want to be a 3. I've seen your model. I don't want to be a three. 
But I don't want to be what? Anybody who puts it at 0.5 is just they're screaming for help, Patrick. They're like, yeah, look, they're I, please, it's not even an option to be a two and a half, for God's sakes. It's, it's are you a one, are you a two, are you a three, or a four? I'm a two and a half. That, that screams problem. So these are very, these are people who are very sure about what they're doing, and we're able to introduce a little ambivalence. And that's what we call therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. The without hurting anybody, you know, without shaming or without no, no, the, the two and a half is therapeutic. Look, I am you and I dude, that's how you and I started talking. You used to we and I started talking on a post that I had and I was referencing addiction and, and people and dealing with mental health. And I Dr. Carl Hart, you and I talked about sustainability of the whole thing. And and all I had said to you was that look, I I do what I do, but I haven't managed to what deals with my life. You, you started our conversation off by saying manage, everyone manages stress. Everyone, no one can avoid that. And sometimes you use things to do that. Sometimes you use them too much. But I believe there's a way to use enough to manage what it is. So if I live my life the way that I live it, and I've said to myself, I believe what I'm doing is a one. I get it. I get it. There are risks. Anytime you use anything, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, hallucinogenics, I don't care. There is an assumed risk with that. But I've been doing it long enough that I know that and I'm comfortable with that and I'm okay to move forward. If it makes me a functioning addict, as I've been called in the past, that's fine. But under Patrick's model, I just, I'd like to view myself as a, as a, as a two, as, as an ongoing one, you know what I mean? Knowing that I have the ability to go to four like that. And I know what, I even know what three will look like. And I don't even think I'll even get to four because I've already been there once and it was scary, scary shit. But I don't think I have a problem being a two. Patrick, is it, is it, is your model trying to get everyone to zero or is it okay to be a two as long as you know you're a two? Here's the answer. And uh, it works like this. Uh, when I did the analysis, uh, I built the model to find what I wanted. So I'm not surprised by anything I found because right, there's got to be some selection bias there to just do just to do research in general you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing it on a non-binary topic like well I just don't care <laughs> why would you spend the time I yeah. didn't think the chances of finding a measurement were possible without extreme selection bias sure. so I didn't mind doing it that way but here's the thing that when I started to look uh, I used an analysis tool that's exactly for this kind of purpose to make sure there's not another variable and that's where we all that's where we suck at research is really data analysis we miss the other variable we love we blame everything anybody in the treatment or prevention industries is saying they know the cause of addiction and they're wrong but they won't admit it they'll say i don't know the cause of addiction but they really think they do so they think abstinence has something to do with treatment so stop drinking. If, you're, if Johnny's not drinking or using, we did our job. That, that's it's, not it's the so cause. It's that's so a flawed. symptom. That's the solution, you moron. So flawed. It's such a, the idea that because you don't use, all of a sudden makes you healthy is jacked. Because all that goes on in the back of one's brain, I had this discussion all the time with friends, uh, and it relates around food, right? This idea that you know, I can eat whatever I want. Yeah, so as long important. as you know you're putting your body, you work out, you do the right thing, but you just can't go eat like an asshole and expect to lose weight. That's not how this is going to work. No, Period. you can't fool yourself about causal variable. Correlates are not causation. Okay. And everybody loves it. So the, so I looked, and with when I ran my numbers, when I populated this model with data, and that's what saved me. I have data. I'm not making up a new theory. I am finding a new theory through 
analyzing my data. That's but, allowed. Uh, by, by using existing theories and the data collected to, to come up with your own summation. Seems yeah, right. I'm not making this up. This is something that, and I, and I want, you know, I went to all kinds of people, high power people. It's like, where's the, my mistake here? Because I should not be getting this kind of correlation. I know it's good and I made it. I knew it was going to be close, but I shouldn't be at 0.99999 correlation. That's not probable. And uh, nobody could tell me anything. But when I ran it through this tool, it's called the Columbia model. When I ran it through this tool, it's in my book and all this sort of thing. What it showed me was I could explain every case of high risk and severe risk student. I had that perfectly mapped out. I could not explain one case for the majority of the population. The 75%, we did 5,000 kids. So 3,000 of them, I had no explanation for. They never got out of stage one. But I noticed they bounced between stage zero and stage one. So I was like, if that's where they stay, then they're using, and they're human beings, so I know they're using the same very they're using the same attributes. The attributes are identical. They're not, they have to use new and good and control and commitment, all that stuff they use too. But obviously they're using it in a different pattern. And obviously the risk part is going to be stage one. And obviously where they're going to familiarize stuff or habituate stuff is in stage zero. So can you drink? Yeah, there is a way to use. All, there's a way to do all kinds of things in stage zero, which is the high benefit, low risk column and, and row. It's a matrix. So what I'm measuring is uh, high risk and low risk and high benefit, and low benefit. And I put my data in there and that forced me to, to change the model that's the difference between high-risk students and low-risk students they use identical attributes in a different pattern both patterns feel the same both patterns feel good both patterns are effective both patterns have character defects both patterns have good things but if you can't tell the difference between one and the other you are well and truly screwed if you're dependent and that's why change is hard because I'm telling somebody to change into something they already think they've changed into. Yeah. And that's going to be the issue. If you're already, if you're asking me to be better and I've already thought that I'm as better as one can be better. And you're running at 200% already. I'm asking you to do more. They're going to get a gun. And that's because of, that's because of the self, it's, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy of what it is that I believe about what I see around me. And I think that has to do with who you surround yourself with. I think it has to do with the honesty. I, I grew up with people who were yes people, right? I was lucky to be good at my job. So I always had money around that attracts people. It attracts the wrong people mainly. And they're willing to say and do and, and act as if it was, you know, everything was okay. But when you meet people who don't agree and see things differently, I think it really helps with that model. I'm still shocked that 75% of 5,000 kids, basically, uh, as you said, were, were, were statistical brain, you know, melters to you, where you were just like, I don't, I don't get you 75, because that's a huge majority. I think when you hear the word addiction, or you hear the word problem, you assume it's some mass number of something, when in reality, it is so much smaller than that. 
Five percent. Five percent of people. Um, and not to say that the other 25 can't go into that or the other 75 can't go into that. But Constantly moving. If I were looking at a model of something and something was 5% statistical versus 75, it would get that much weight versus this much weight on 75 in my own brain, which I think seems only fair just given I put a lot of stock in statistics, Kessie. Well, this is does it blow your mind then. It blew my mind. This is because now how many more people die each year in this country directly related to drug use? It turns out it's the low-risk people. Why? Because there's more of them. It's a and, huge and, group. And to me, it also speaks to the education of it all. Like I just, the idea of how drugs are handled in this country versus how alcohol is handled in this country. We're not doing any, any of our addicts, we're not doing them any services whatsoever. We give them zero education, zero resource. Don't give me this, well, just tell them to stop. That is not the answer. There must be better education than just stop. Well, yeah. I do a whole thing on constructive paranoia. And that is a risk response kind of thing. And uh, just so they know it won't work. But if you understand constructive paranoia, you become autonomous because then you're not, you're not uh, swayed by your own biases or your own blind spots or your own gaps or anybody else's. So there's just some things you got to decide on your own. That's what autonomy is. So I, I text and I drive. I don't text and drive. That's a thing I decided. If I want to text, I pull. It's not a problem for me. Or I wait. Or, you know, it doesn't matter. I know I'm going to die sometime, but it won't be while driving and drinking. It won't be by texting and driving. Agreed. Those and I wear a seatbelt. Every car I get in, I wear a seatbelt. But if there are things I do behind my, you know, in my own walls, my own privacy, my own life, then that's what it should stay as. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think every person who uses drugs is an addict. I don't think every drug leads to drug addiction. It's much like well, that's the Carl Hart. Yeah, I got all, all over Carl Hart a little bit because the guy who wrote the book about how to, adult, how to use adults. Yeah. How to use drugs like an adult. He was a very brave person to, do, to write that book. And I got it. I bought it and I read it. And it, he's stage four. <laughs> He believes he's autonomous. He acts like he's autonomous and he looks like he's autonomous. He's not. Read his book before, and I don't want to get all into it, but it's clearly in there. If you're, if you believe uh, you have to be impaired to experience something that you have to challenge, I challenge that. I, 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 you know, if you had your spleen out yesterday, you should be chewing, not chewing. <laughs> you should be taking Oxycontin as prescribed. But if you're doing that uh, in place of a drink, if you're doing heroin in place of a drink and your wife can't go to bed because she's got to measure how many times you breathe a minute so, so that you don't die uh, or you have to put the whole, the whole family has to stop while you go into withdrawal, that's, that's, not, a, that's not healthy. That's not autonomous. That's so, so the idea is you go and try stuff in stage one, whatever it is, whatever you perceive is good and uh, have social proof for, and it's new and it's controllable, go try it. And then go find out what it really is and then make your decision. 
Can I habituate this in a high benefit, low risk way or not? Is it sustainable? And if I can, happy days. Do it some more. Find out something else you can do and sustain it. And you just keep going. And these people change every single day. They get better every single day in spite of every failure and every roadblock and so on and so forth. They live and nobody can stop them from doing it. That's what I want for me and everybody else. And is that a stage under the book to get to that point? Is that, is that a stage in, in the way that you look at things? You want everyone to be there. Is it's it just using the same, uh, it's just using the same attributes to just never leave the high benefit column. You'd always be making the debt. And so what you're saying is if your drug addiction gets to a point or your drug use, I want to call it an addiction. If your drug use gets to a point where people have to be watching you, potentially the, the benefit has out, outweighed the risk in that. Yes. Case. Okay. Yes. What's well, there? now you've become dependent, which which is not sustainable, happily sustainable. But see, I think people think dependency means daily. So I think that it's got to, it's, it has nothing to do. Doesn't with mean daily. Say no. that you talk about the dependency of being able to enjoy a drug or whatever, however you want to put that. Don't even have to use it to be dependent. Right. You could quit and still be dependent. That's okay. what I try to say. You know, that's you go sit in a twelve-step meeting and you think the meetings is the program you're going to suicide or use again. There's no other way. No other way. There's no assessment to that. Well, Patrick, man, this has been an unbelievably eye-opening discussion. Um, I, I hope that people took it in. Folks, I know there's a lot to this. Um, Patrick, you you have um, on the post, put in all your links, man, on the post on LinkedIn when this goes live on Monday. Put in all your links. Let folks know where to find everything. Uh, put in a link to the book. Do it all. Let everybody know um, I want people to learn about this. I think this is important, people. I think we need to be talking about this. We talk about mental health. We talk about the idea of how do we improve. Maybe this is a tool you had never heard of. I had never heard of it. I didn't. I, I, I was telling someone the other day, having Patrick on the show actually was, was a moment for me where I was, I was a little uncomfortable. Uh, this is a really smart dude. He's got a lot of different letters after his name, okay? That yeah. scares the shit out of me. I have none. I just, I have, I have my initials. Uh, uh, you're in the car business. That's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I don't have that. So I was concerned about this conversation that I couldn't be on the same level that I couldn't digest what it is that someone of his background is talking about. The reality is a lot of it is heavy. A lot of it is deep, but, but we broke it down. We looked at it from a car analysis. We looked at it from your daily life. Patrick isn't talking about you having to be in drugs, in alcohol, in any of this. This could be how you parent. This could be how you go for walks. This could be anything. How you deal with your family. Shit, I'm going to use this for that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start looking at things through a little bit of a different lens. So, Patrick, man, thank you so much for everything. Thank you for taking the time. You were a tremendous um, fountain of information. I, I can't wait to hear what people have to say about it. Uh, thank you, Sean. You got a good style. You got a good thing going. Keep going. Uh, it's important and you're uh, I think you're finding a way to bring it to more and more people. That makes the world a better place. So thank you. You know, man, you're welcome. Thank you. We're trying to do it. Folks, like I said, you can find Patrick. He'll be on LinkedIn with us when we go live with the show. Um, otherwise, you'll be able to check out his book, links to his work. Everything will be there for you. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for joining another Mental Health Monday. We're getting to get ready to get into June. And uh, next week, we're going to have some fun. We're going to go back out of the guests. going to be me sitting here by myself. You're not going to want to miss the topic. I think it'll be fun. Thank you guys so much. Patrick, thank you again. Have a great week. We appreciate it, man.